During Lent, I made a joke or four about how Lent is a season of giving up something to become more holy, but the giving up in-person worship wasn't exactly what I had in mind. And then on April 12, 2020, that was Easter Sunday, we celebrated the empty tomb in the most dramatic way since the year 33 AD. Empty tomb, empty room. We lived it out, the Easter story, in a dramatic way. But never would I have guessed that Lent and Easter and now Christmas Eve would be lived out in such a way. For tonight, we take another twist in the story because no room at the end, boy, it takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? All of our in-person worship services are full, full. There's literally no room in the inn. And that's, uh, that's been a struggle for me to say that, to hear those familiar words this season, uh, because I lay it alongside, alongside something that our facilities manager, Drew Norman, says. He said this since the very first day that I arrived here. You know what it is? There's always room for one more. We pride ourselves in saying that. There's always room for one more in Bible study and in worship, service projects. Tonight we say, if there's going to be room for one more, we're going to have to be creative. So we've gone online and we've gone outdoors. And thanks to WSFA and WAKA, there is room for one more for all, really. It, is ha it has been and is such an honor to work with a staff who this season has reminded me so much of, of Mary. We talked about it last Sunday. When Mary was told she would give birth to baby Jesus, she asked a question, how can this be? And I promise you, over the past, say, eight, nine months, our staff has said, how in the world can this be? Another challenge, something else to overcome, and how are we going to pivot one more time? And they, they've always responded to that, Lord, we are your servants. Let it be. We will find a way. And I am so grateful for them and all the innovative things that they're doing. But the bottom line is, is this. There is no more room at, first, at the end of First United Methodist Church uh, during Christmas Eve, Eve and Christmas Eve. Even if you take into account our, our renovations, we, we're without rooms to have programs and Bible studies and, and even staff meetings where we can do innovative ministry and have those conversations just seems like everywhere we turn this season, there's no room, except for there is. In everything we do, we need to be mindful this, this evening and this season that there is always room for one more, because there's always room for Jesus, if we make room. That the full manger and the empty tomb give us that confidence that Christ is always with us if we will make room. And maybe one of the things we learn from the manger is that it's God's innovative way of 
when the world said there's no more room for, for anything else, creative or hopeful or joyful or peaceful to happen in this world, God said, oh, yes, there is. Watch this. And so God suspended time and pulled apart space to say to the empires of this world, I've got a kingdom that is coming on down. There's always room for one more. That's what the manger teaches us. It's God's way of making space for grace. There's always room for grace in this world if we'll make a little space. For several weeks, we've been preparing this space, anticipating your arrival and that you will find grace in this space. Our sanctuary, it has become this wonderful, living, breathing analogy that we're supposed to prepare the mangers of our hearts for the coming of Christ. Will we make enough space for grace? If so, some things have got to move around. Our schedules, our priorities, our time, we're so cluttered, and we're so busy, and we're so tired. And time itself might need to be suspended like it was in the darkness under a Bethlehem sky because it might just be possible that Christ is trying to be born again under the cover of darkness we call 2020. You know, the manger had a lot of visitors, many of whom were so unlikely, but I think that's God's way of saying there's room for everyone close to my heart, blue-collared shepherds, white-collared astrologers, rich magi, they all came to see a poor baby, poor family born in a stable. And it's funny to me. It all began in the dark to a couple who doesn't seem to have had a lot of family support. They struggled to make ends meet. They traveled 90 miles to, to pay their taxes. That's what the whole census thing was about. It wasn't about registration or how many people there were. The Caesar didn't care about that. The Caesar wanted to know how much money was on hand so he could divide people and squeeze it out of people. But through a regular couple who said yes to God and made enough room in their, in their lives, God took the impossible and made it possible. And if God made enough room in space and in time for angels and shepherds and rich and poor and young and old and locals and foreigners and rulers and servants, all of whom found their way to Jesus in the dark, and certainly there's, there's room for us here too in this strangest of years. I've started reading a book in my spare time. <laughs> Barbara Brown Taylor is the author. It's called Learning to Walk in the Dark, and I have just, I haven't been able to put it down. The premise of the book is, is she is dispelling the notion that all things associated with darkness must be bad or violent or wrong or evil. 
or that to be scared of the dark is, is some sort of label that we place on people. One thing that really captivated me about this, this book, I, I gravitated toward it because of an image that she used. If, if light is good and, and dark is, is bad, then it's no wonder that we talk about the constancy of the sun. It burns the same brightness all the day through, and we should be happy, happy, happy all the time, just like the sun that is so bright. But if we're being honest with ourselves, life is more like the phases of the moon. It comes in slivers. Sometimes it's half, half brightened. Sometimes it's full. And we don't need any light at all, and it brings to life so much that we would otherwise miss. So I get that, and that says something about darkness. But then, Barbara Brown Taylor, she starts pulling the rug on me a little bit because she starts using scripture to support what she's saying, like that Joseph's dreams they happen at night, or that Daniel's visions happen at night, that the Red Sea is parted at night, that manna comes from heaven at night, that God takes Abraham outside at night and says, look up. All of these stars will be, your people will be as many as them. He takes Jacob into a wrestling match at, at night. And it reminds me that if we want to be blessed by God and are willing to limp our way out of that conversation, then... There's some walking around in the dark to be done. But then I got to thinking. Eternal life begins in the womb of darkness. And second, birth and resurrection begin in a tomb of darkness. Maybe we need to reclaim that Jesus was born in the dark as if to say, I understand your darkness. And so maybe there's no reason to fear the dark after all, because maybe that's where God intervenes into our story and begins changing things. I learned a lot more about life from losing games than I did ever winning a game. Our losing seasons taught me much more. There were dark times around the halls of our schools. I've learned a lot more when I've fallen flat on my face in the dark moments of life than when everything was rosy. Maybe the spiritual darkness of 2020, maybe it's God's way of saying, look up, child. I've been leading you all along. I know this to be a fact. I know that we're learning something about God's vision for us in these dark days and these trying times because I have seen people come out of the woodwork to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this church. And our community outreach is unprecedented. We're reaching more people and worship through virtual platforms than we ever thought imaginable. All because somebody said, let's just look up a little bit. Let's look up in the darkness. I think that's God's message. Don't forget to look up. Like the shepherds, the wise men about whom you'll hear in a few weeks. Don't forget to look up at the stars. There's always 
a way forward. I just wonder if we're being led to this manger once again this, this year for ourselves, guided by God's grace, to hear a message from God that says, we really are not whole without you. This crash, we've been building it all along, but the final pieces are, are us and the community. So I wonder if we need to make a little space in the mangers of our lives or by maybe just letting go of things that are dragging us down and keeping us from seeing that Christ was born. Perhaps we need to hold up a, enough light, like we will in, in just a moment, to remind ourselves that if we'll look to the left and the right and in front of us and behind us, just, just a short distance, we'll realize that we're not walking through the darkness alone. God is with us and our brothers and sisters are too. One final thing, we hear a lot about angels and shepherds and Mary and Joseph. I like the innkeeper myself. I think I want to get to know him one day. Countless school plays and church plays sensationalize all of this because growing up they would put kids like me who had a hard time paying attention or memorizing lines they would make me an innkeeper so in a lot of the stories we have four or five or six innkeepers you know I was an innkeeper mostly because when the time came and the knock came I had one line no room <laughs> I can do that I can remember that well Innkeeper after innkeeper had his own way of saying that. It reminds me of, of a story about an eight-year-old little boy to whom I can relate. He, he had a hard time focusing, paying attention, had some challenges. He had not heard in his lifetime the story of Christmas. He had not heard the scripture that Jillian just read. He had not been to a candlelight service. He had, he had not been to a 315 reenactment of the play to, to see it. All he knew was, was this, uh, this set, this these lines that were being told to the children at, at his school. And so he was an innkeeper. And he watched all uh, four of the innkeepers before him say, go away, no room, be gone, there's nothing for you here. And so on the night of, of the play, it came time and Joseph knocked. And the little boy said, no room. No room here. And then his heart began to break a little bit, this eight-year-old boy, because he saw Joseph's shoulders shrug, and he looked over at Mary to console her as if to say, I know, we'll, we'll keep going. And the, they walked up, young Mary and young Joseph, they walked up about 10 feet, and the little boy went off script. He said, hey, Joseph. Hey, Mary, I'm sorry. You can have my room. You can have my room. Do you think that that little boy ruined Christmas or he started scratching the surface as to what Christmas is all about? Maybe the, the call of Christmas is for us to decide what kind of innkeepers 
we want to be. There might not be enough room for everybody in worship at any given time on a particular Sunday or through these holidays. But if we're willing to look up and see where God is leading us, there's, there's enough room for everyone in other ways to find Christ. And you might think that you're unqualified to serve as a messenger of God because there's too many responsibilities keeping watch over our flocks by night like the shepherds. But then an angel came along and said, look up, child. I'm leading you in the darkness. Or you might think that life is, is pressing all around and we don't have enough time or enough resources, enough energy, and we just kind of wander aimlessly uh, around the darkness looking for a place to belong, a place to land, a place to connect, a place to call home. The family situation is so complicated that there's no way God can use my story, all of which is responded to by the miracle of Christmas. Look up, child. There's always a way. Or maybe some of us feel like there's no more room in the end of, end of our life. We've allowed so much in that there really isn't enough room for one more thing. But I want to challenge us tonight to lay aside the past, to start moving direction toward healing, laying aside guilt and shame, to start being honest about mental health needs in our lives and in our families and start looking up a little bit to see where God is, is leading us. And maybe we'll get to a place where we say, you, you can have my room. You can have my room, Lord. I just wonder, just wonder in the mangers of our hearts, if we're making a little space for some grace, maybe God is leading people in our lives who need that same grace. That's part of what this service of light is about. I hope you have a candle if you're at home or in your place of work and you have a candle or your flashlight on your phone or some method of light. Tonight, of all nights, we need, we need to see that we're not alone. We need to, to see that it's okay to walk through the darkness because God might just be giving birth to something new. As a way of symbolizing that and that we want to make room for Christ in our lives, we're going to hold up our candles. But it doesn't stop there. I want to challenge you, as much as we're going to take our candles out into the world, to let the light of Christ within you shine for others. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel.